I'm Dr. Jay Anders, and this is Tell Me Where It Hurts, where we discuss some of the big challenges in health IT and how we can solve them so clinicians can do what they do best, care for patients. So I'd like to welcome everyone to our podcast of Tell Me Where It Hurts. Uh, today's guest is actually quite famous uh, in the world of healthcare IT, and I'll be introducing him in a moment. And I'd like to um, apologize for a hiatus. Uh, I recently, my mother passed away, so we had a little bit of a little pause in doing podcasts for a little while. Um, so I'd like to talk a little bit about one of my experience actually with my mother, who recently passed away at 93. Uh, and it's in regards to interoperability and her medical records and how they get from one place to another. So to give you a little background on her, she had seven different physicians, all of which did not have access to the records that she had. So I became her walking interoperability platform. I would go with her for every visit. Um, the physicians would ask, you know, the same questions, what medicines are you on? How are you doing? What's this? When's the last time you had this test or that test? Um, so I would sit there and give them that history all over again. Um, it got interesting in the fact that of her seven physicians, four are using the same EMR platform and three are in the same group. And we're talking one of the major vendors. So it was interesting that they didn't have access to any of her health data. And with, she had 14 different medications and at least 10 different problems. And there was a lot of interaction between her problems, her medications, and her physicians. So she was not the run-of-the-mill internal medicine patient being an internist that I'd be used to taking care of. She was a little more unique. But here's the interesting part of her last days. Um, she, one of her diagnoses was macular degeneration, the wet type, for which she got injections in her eye to prevent the bleeding. Well, she went into the hospital with atrial fibrillation and wound up being placed on an anticoagulant. So on her visit after that hospitalization with her retinal specialist, um, they asked all those same questions that I just talked about. And I gave them that list of medications, which now included that anticoagulant. And they wrote it down, diligently put it in the system. I was standing there when they did it. I walked into the physician's room and she comes dancing in and says, how are you doing? Here we go. Are you here for an injection? And I said, wait, 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 just a minute. She's now on an anticoagulant and has been for a while. Does that change anything? She goes, she is. I said, well, I just told the intake person who is 32 feet away down the hallway that she's on this. It's in the system. So she brought, she didn't even bother to look or, or it's not to a place where she could find it easily, nor was it flagged that this person that you're now about to stick a needle in an organ is now got a bleeding probability. And she kind of paused and we talked about it and we, she wound up having the procedure anyway, but it was the fact that she didn't know that really made me pause in the state of how we communicate healthcare data from one place to another. So not only can it not get from the hospital to her clinic physicians, but it can't get from the clinic intake person to the doctor in the same office because of usability issues. So our guest today is 
an expert on interoperability. He's been in that for a very long period of time. Um, and he's now in charge of trying to fix some of these issues going forward. So I'd like to introduce Mickey Tripathi, National Coordinator for Health Information Technology. Great, um, thank you, Jay. Um, uh, really delighted to be here. And first off, really sorry to hear about your mother. Um, that's, that's always hard, um, yeah. and, uh, so I'm very sorry to hear about that. Well, thank you. Um, it was, she lived a long life and had a great life. So I'm yeah. very, you know, very pleased about that. So yeah, it doesn't make it any this, easier at the end though. I've, no, that's no, that's my experience. <laughs> yeah. The, the interesting walkthrough with her for the last several years in her, in her medical care has been very, very interesting. Yeah. And not everybody has, you know, a board certified internist as a son to go through everything and make sure all those decisions are made correctly, or at least talked about. Yep. So so sharing health information and getting that information in front of the clinicians that are actually delivering the care is so extremely important. It's so extremely important. Yeah. And it's always, you know, it's it's sobering, unfortunately, you know, for all the work that we're doing, electronic health records and interoperability. And I've been doing this, you know, for 20 years now. Um, you know, it's always sobering when you actually are in the system yourself as a patient customer and have the experience that <laughs> that you had, which is not atypical at all, right? I mean, I think that's nope. that's the common experience still today. Yeah, uh, and that's so, it. Always brings us back to the reality of how much more work we have to do. Oh, absolutely. So as national national coordinator, you've had a long history in the private sector doing this kind of work, uh, working in various parts of interoperability, including the Indiana Health Information Exchange. Mm -hmm. um, so tell me a little bit about how your pathway in this industry went and how you got interested in doing what you're doing now. Yeah, it's uh, been a very circuitous path, actually. <laughs> um, uh, so even though I've, you know, even though I've uh, been in in health IT now, um, really in healthcare, um, but in, and specifically in health IT for like twenty years, um, I'm old, so I actually had previous careers doing <laughs> doing other things. So I, I still consider myself relatively new to healthcare because there are you know a lot of people uh, who are my age who have been in it you know their entire lives. Um, but I started off. Uh, I was a, a consultant actually at the Boston Consulting Group, which is a strategy consulting firm, and um, and we had an engagement working out in Indianapolis for an organization out there that uh, I think still exists called Bio Crossroads. And what they do is they um, make different types of investments um, to try to uh, you know sort of promote the business climate and to try to improve the business climate in different in different ways in the Indianapolis market. And one of the things that they were interested in um, was looking at what was what was going on at the time at the Registry Institute. Um, that's you know their Registry Institute or you know legendary uh, organization still today is a legendary organization in, in healthcare informatics. And um, and so we went in uh, as a team from the Boston Consulting Group and started looking at uh, you know what was going on there, what the um, what the Registry Institute, Dr. Clem McDonald, Dr. Mark Overhage, Dr. Bill Tierney, I mean, these, you know, Mount Rushmore yeah. figures in, in health information technology, um, what they were doing there. And we worked with them to uh, develop a business plan 
for what would eventually became the Indiana Health Information Exchange. But it was really that experience working as a consultant, um, having the privilege of working with you know, some of the luminaries in the field um, that really just, you know, just hooked me. Um, and what, you know, for me, what I really you know, sort of love is the combination of technology, um, science, and, um, and policy and being, you know, anything, any kind of, you know, areas where you can bring those things together um, has always been incredibly attractive to me. And then, you know, both my parents were physicians, I'm not. So, you know, trying to bring it home and perhaps, you know, regain, regain the pride from them <laughs> was probably a motivation as well. But, uh, but that's what got me started. And, and that's where I decided that, you know, this was the industry that I really wanted to focus on. Well, it sounds like you're in the right place right now. So that's, that's very good to have well-trained, well-experienced people working on problems like we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. Um, What do you personally see as the biggest challenge in healthcare and healthcare IT today in the United States? Yeah, you know, I think that the biggest challenge in in healthcare IT, and and I think you you phrased it appropriately, which is say healthcare and healthcare IT, because I go back to healthcare and say, you know, when we think about U.S. healthcare, I think the single biggest challenge that cuts across, you know, anytime you talk about you know, sort of the the gaps and you know and the failures of the U.S. healthcare system. It, you know, to me, it all goes back to the fragmentation of healthcare, um, the fragmentation on the supply side and the demand side. Um, where you know the supply side is obviously um, uh, providers who are providing the service, um, and you know technology vendors who are providing technology for the service, and the demand side, which is patients like you and me. Um, the healthcare insurers who uh, you know who act on our behalf um, to uh, you know to to pay for uh, that care on our behalf, and then of course employers and others who are you know purchasing um, healthcare on our behalf as well, or or uh, you know providing health insurance uh, for that. Um, and there's incredible fragmentation on both sides of the equation. If you look at almost any other sector of the economy, you don't have that. Um, you know, that, uh, that kind of, uh, you know, landscape. And, and so what we've seen in other parts of the economy is that market coordination can help move things forward. It can help, you know, um, uh, help the industry advance in ways that's very, very difficult in healthcare, um, you know, because of that fragmentation. And then you lay on top of it just the complexity of healthcare, right? It's very, very fast evolving. The, you know, medical science keeps, you know, keeps, keeps progressing, you know, very rapidly. So you have all of that stuff as well. And then every healthcare economist knows about, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, sort of the issues of, um, you know, healthcare not working like a market in the same way because of the, you know, the buffering of payment from, you know, from, uh, uh, from the consumer, you know, sort of uh, quality cost decisions that we make when we're, you know, buying a car um, and in the difficulty of doing that in healthcare. I mean, it's really hard for me as a consumer to evaluate, you know, what's a, how, how is a better surgeon, you know, how do I evaluate the, you know, the additional cost of a, of a better surgeon um, when, when it actually is my health and, and perhaps my life, um, you know, so that's a part of that. So I think that's a, you know, that's a big part of it, but the fragmentation of, of uh, you know, of healthcare on the supply side and the demand side is, is a real challenge. And as it relates to health IT, what that means is that basic things like interoperability, for example, because I often hear and myself, you know, often reflected on why, you know, so why is it that we have interoperable ATM systems? <laughs> why is it that we have interoperable, uh, you know, cell phones? Um, and you know, and it's not the government stepping in and saying, you know, you have to do this. Um, that really happened from the bottom up, um, you know, with some government encouragement and a little bit of laying down of you know broad parameters. But it was really much more bottom up. And you know, and even things like the UPC code, you know, the barcode when you go to the grocery store. 
right? I mean, again, that's like great interoperability that happens all across the supply chain. And you just sort of step back and ask yourself, well, like, how did that happen in that industry? And why doesn't it happen in healthcare? Well, in healthcare, because we've got this incredible fragmentation. So it's really hard for provider organizations to get together and say, you know what? If 10 of us get together, we'll just agree on a set of standards and then the rest of the industry will follow, right? And that's kind of how it worked in banking and airlines and, you know, UPC code and almost every other, you know, sort of industry. That's really hard in, in our industry. So that's where it takes the federal government actually to play a role in helping to bring everyone together to say, you know what, we've got to set, establish a set of standards, establish a set of conventions to help move this forward. So I think that's, you know, that at the end of the day is, you know, kind of the biggest challenge. And then of course there's, you know, all sorts of other challenges beneath them. Well, we've been dealing now with COVID for almost two years. And do you believe that uh, COVID and the pandemic has kind of surfaced more of the need to be more urgent about getting things interconnected? Absolutely. Um, yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I think that um, COVID has, um, you know, it's interesting when you kind of look at the timing of all of this, um, because, you know, we started about, what, you know, 10 years ago, um, where we were, you know, sort of the laggard in the industrialized world and in the U.S. economy. If you think about the healthcare sector compared to other, you know, parts of the economy, we were the laggard in the use of information technology down at the, you know, at the, um, you know, at the at the front lines of, you know, customer engagement. Where in in healthcare, that was the provider organizations, but particularly on the ambulatory side, on the ambulatory side, but not, you know, on the hospital side as well. Um, and certainly compared to you know the other other industrialized countries and as other parts of the um, of, of the U.S. economy, we were you know definitely the laggards. We only had like 10% adoption of electronic health records, and no one really knew how we were going to move forward um, because it was sort of an economic stalemate um, where you know providers didn't want to make the investment because they felt like they were making an investment, but everyone else was getting the benefits, right? And, and there's a, there was a certain reality to that um, that left us in that position. And then the, you know then and then the federal government got involved. Um, um, and, you know, I think of it as the federal government investing in its supply chain, um, you know, deciding that, you know Absolutely. what, I need the supply chain to move. And so I'm going to share the cost of that. And, you know, Walmart and Toyota do that every single day. Um, and, you know, and, you know, we frame it as, oh, Medicare and Medicaid giving incentives and, you know, subsidizing this. But that's, you know, to me, that's just what the private sector does all the time to get its supply chain to move. Um, so we had this 10 year experience of saying, all right, now we're gonna invest in electronic health records and get everyone up to, you know, up to this, this, this foundation. So we spent 10 years doing that. And now we're at the point where we've got 95% adoption of electronic health records. Are they perfect? As you point out, they're absolutely not perfect. But when you think about the things that they can do compared to you know, what we could do five, seven years ago, I mean, I think it really is a dramatic difference in the capabilities that we have um, just you know, at, the, at the fingertips of most providers. So you now here we are, we've laid this foundation and we're just at the cusp of saying, all right, now we need to be able to say, what are the great things we can do with this system now? I mean, we didn't um, invest all that time and money, $40 billion in, in public dollars alone, you know, just to have better billing or, you know, and, and the removal of paper file cabinets, right? I mean, uh, none of yeah. us would have embarked on this. I certainly would have, wouldn't have, you know, changed my industry focus if that's what, you know, if that's what we were all uh, you know, sort of headed toward here. Um, but then, and then all of a sudden, you know, now the pandemic comes. Right, and shines a really harsh light on you know on the systems and stress tests that stress tests those systems and in some ways does a favor by saying let's now cast a light let's stress test the system and see how the system can do um, now that you've you know now that you've all got these tools and you know some things I think you know sort of uh, showed that okay this stuff can work um, this stuff can actually work and I would point to things like um, you know if you think about what's uh, you know what's happened with 
um, the, uh, the vaccination credentials that are available from provider organizations, for example, using a standard, a Firebase standard, the smart health card standard um, that you can do with your QR code. Um, that, you know, we never would have been able to do that in a previous world if we didn't have a number of things, if we didn't have electronic health records, if we didn't have a good open industry standard, namely Fire, and the ability for individuals to use their smartphones to be able to easily access that and then be able to present it in another place, right? So that's a real demonstration that, wow, there are some things that, you know, that, that we really wouldn't have been able to do. On the other hand, what, we, what it um, dramatically showed is that we don't have interoperability between the healthcare delivery system and the public health system, right? They, they live in like separate universes, <laughs> um, yeah. both from a policy perspective, as well as from a technology perspective. And our public health system is woefully inadequate from a technical perspective compared to the investments that we made on the healthcare delivery system. And I think that's, you know, that's been something that we've known. Um, we didn't have meaningful use for public health. So we spent $40 billion investing in electronic health records on this side. And we didn't have a similar uptick in investments on the public health infrastructure on this side. And so you, you know, had that asymmetry already and then the lack of connection between them. And I think that, you know, that just really showed that, you know, we have a lot of work to do with respect to interoperability. Um, fortunately, it did, you know, I think give a lot of urgency to things that, you know, that perhaps we didn't have that kind of urgency, um, you know, before. So one is investment in public health systems. The second is a recognition that we need to have more modern ways of having interoperability. So it's not just a one-way HL7 message that I deliver in batch, you know, every other month or something. It's actually, no, 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 we need real-time interoperability like we have, you know, in every other consumer experience that we have, um, you know, uh, in our lives. Um, and we need to have um, much more, um, you know, sort of dynamic, um, you know, bi-directional capabilities as well. So that the public health system can communicate back to provider organizations and back to local public health agencies, which, which again, doesn't happen in an automated fashion today. So given what you just said, um, I firmly agree with that. We, we need to start stitching the systems together. And what was interesting, and you pointed it out, is that the systems we had that were built for that $40 billion are really billing systems with a little bit of clinical medicine built on the side. They were, they were geared basically to, to form a bill, to submit to an insurance carrier. Um, a lot of the care inside of those has been kind of pushed to the side. It's important, but it's been pushed to the side to make sure that those billing things, very important for people to get paid, but those billing things took advantage of that. Now we're moving to more of a value-based care where the billing doesn't become the primary goal care of the patient and making the patient becomes a primary goal. So that exchange of information that we really don't have a lot of or getting there um, is going to really help with that, I believe, because I need as an internist to see a full picture of everything a patient I see has, in, has had done to them, all their meds, all their tests, everything. So the better picture I get for a patient, the better off I can treat them. And I think that goes for just about anybody who practices medicine. So along those lines, um, what are the ONC office's plans and current projects to start to address some of the things we just talked about? Sure, yeah, and, and just one, you know, sort of um, slight, it's not a full correction, but just a clarification I wanna, I, I wanna make, which is, you know, I didn't, I explicitly, 
um, didn't say that those systems are just glorified billing systems because I actually don't believe that. Um, but I do believe that, you know, that there was a phasing that needed to happen, that we first needed to lay that foundation and you need to land the plan safely, um, land the plane safely. And I've, you know, I've been involved in, you know, literally thousands of EHR implementations and, you know, down on the ground, when you're doing that EHR implementation, one of the things that we discovered early on in this whole process is that you've got to keep that revenue cycle going first and foremost, if people aren't getting paid, then everything else stops. I cannot, you know, we could not get a physician to focus on decision support <laughs> or, you know, or the great tools that are available in the HR system if their revenue had been cut off and all of a sudden they have three weeks of literally no payments. So anyway, I just want to make clear that, you know, that in a way that was a natural phasing. We say we lay the foundation, you need to get the revenue cycle going, you need to get everyone with, you know, focused on electronic documentation and get all that workflow in place but then say, all right, now we take it to the next level. And those systems actually are very good at being able to do that. But now we all need to say, all right, let's do what those systems were designed to do and, and have the capability of doing. So now let's, you know, let's, let's take it now to that next level. Um, you know, the things that we're focused on from an ONC perspective are a couple. One, you know, if I was gonna characterize it generally, I would say that what we, where we wanna go now is to say, how do we make this ecosystem more of a platform type of ecosystem. And what I mean by that is if you think about, you know, sort of platform economic and technical, you know, business and technical models in other, in other industries, it's really about saying that you've got a set of, uh, you know, sort of core systems, whatever they are that have, you know, data and, you know, and have a certain set of functionality in them, but they also have open architectures so that they can, you know, have apps and they can have, you know, just basic core native interoperability be a core part of their functions. And that the user experience of those is, you know, a little bit more sort of flexible. And so that, you know, so that when I'm in my EHR system, um, it's great. I can have whatever I have in my EHR system. I've got my data. I've got the functionality my EHR system is has, but I'm not locked into that from a usability perspective and from an interoperability perspective. I have the ability just like on my smartphone, right? I'm, you know, you and I, you know, we use our smartphones every day. Part of what we use is the core functionality offered by the iPhone or offered by, you know, sort of the Android, Android system, Samsung or, you know, Google Pixel or whatever it is. But a lot of what I do on my phone is actually the apps that just happen to live on my smartphone, right? It, it's really about the apps. So the smartphone is a platform that allows me to have access to all a bunch of other things. That's what we want to be able to move the industry to say, I, you know, my EHR can be great and EHR vendors are going to keep, keep moving forward and they do great stuff. But we also want to be able to say we need to have an ecosystem where you have these um, you know, sort of interoperable, substitutable apps that, that can help to enhance the user experience and that can help to, you know, help to move everyone forward with respect to the kind of functionality we have and more seamless interoperability that isn't locked into you know, sort of the particular, particular technology I have. So that's, you know, that's I think, you know, one very, you know, very specific thing that we want to be able to do. And that's you know, what everything related to the fire APIs that we require. Um, that systems support um, the um, information um, sharing rules, um, the information blocking information sharing rules that say that you need to allow access to those under appropriate terms to, you know, to patients and to others. Um, and the, um, you know, sort of the fair business practices that are a part of those rules as well that say that, you know, that an EHR vendor or technology vendor is not allowed to um, use anti-competitive practices essentially to block um, the ability of a customer um, to use the, you know, the data and to um, uh, have it support apps that they may choose to, you know, sort of exist on top of that platform. So let's turn the, uh, turn the corner just a little bit and talk about the Cures Act and the interoperability that's required. And it's, 
you know, people have been buried in the COVID pandemic, especially healthcare providers and hospitals. They're overwhelmed, they're overworked, they're burning out. Um, but now that's starting, well, hopefully it's starting because Omicron's out there. Um, it's starting to sub subside a little bit. So people are now saying, okay, I'm looking at now, what can I do to start to comply with some of this? Um, so what should organizations be looking at? What, how would they give some recommendation, how they adapt to that? And what's your strategy for reinforcement of the rules that you've all laid down in Cures Act? Sure. So, um, so a couple of things. One is, you know, we have a ton of resources on the ONC website that, you know, I would encourage anyone to go to. Um, and that's a, you know, sort of a whole variety of things. There's self-service kinds of things like fact sheets and, you know, and, and other kinds of aids. Um, there's FAQs. Um, and then we also have, you know, videos of, uh, of webinars that we've done. And then we also have a schedule of videos. So we have an upcoming office hours, ONC office hours coming up and a clinician webinar coming up uh, on the 9th, I think, of December. It's on our website, um, or it might be the 16th. I forget what the date is. But anyway, and then we have another one coming up in January. And so we have, um, you know, ongoing education and outreach that we're doing. And we're happy to, you know, to, um, uh, if anyone, any of your listeners, you know, um, want to be able to talk to someone or want us to come to an event um, or, you know, and participate with a group of stakeholders, we're always happy to do that. Um, we are always up for that. So, um, so that's, you know, just in general, want to make sure that everyone understands that. But, you know, I think it's really important for, um, you know, for everyone to recognize that, you know, this is a paradigm shift. I mean, it's really moving, it's saying, it's saying let's take the next step beyond what HIPAA allowed. So HIPAA is a law that I think has served us very well and continues to serve us very well. I know there's some disagreement about that in the, in the community, but I personally think that it's actually served us very well and continues to. Um, but one of the things about HIPAA is that it defines how certain parties, covered entities and business associates, like payers, providers, you know, laboratories, pharmacies, um, are allowed to share information with other parties without getting a patient's consent under treatment payment for, for treatment payment in operations, right? And that's the core construct of, uh, of HIPAA. Um, and that, but, but the key thing is that it says that they are permitted to, it doesn't say they're obligated to. And we've seen a lot of friction there where, you know, for Absolutely. a variety of reasons that information isn't flowing, right? For, you know, for whatever reason, sometimes, you know, some organizations, you know, uh, uh, you know, do it uh, maliciously. In my experience, you know, again, having worked at, you know, for 20 years and, and worked a lot with provider organizations, um, I, I have not seen, you know, the maliciousness um, side of it being, uh, being the primary issue. I've seen it as a question of priority that every one of these organizations, and particularly now you talk about the pandemic, has got a huge priority list of the things that they're trying to do to improve the quality, safety, uh, efficiency, and affordability of care. And, you know, on the interoperability side, just, you know, is not high on the list. I mean, it's not high enough on the list um, because it requires a lot of change. It requires a lot of thought of how am I going to change my workflows? How does that work with compliance? How do I make sure we don't get sued? Um, you know, in in world where you know some of these you know some of that some of these uh, uh, you know sort of interop interoperability things are are complex. If you've got a lot of state laws, and then you've got you know CF forty two CFR part two, and then you've got HIPAA, and you're you know just trying to figure out, well, wait a minute, you know, what, where am I allowed to share? And the conservative thing to do is say, you know what, I'm not required to. So, you know, uh, let's wait until they ask five times and scream about it. Then I'll you know then I'll do it. Um, so what this says is you need to change the priority. You need to move it up in your priority list, um, and that's you know that's really fundamentally what you know what the first thing that I would just uh, you know sort of uh, say to everyone is this needs to be at the top of your priority list um, now, and you need to work with your compliance teams. You need to work with the workflows internally to make information sharing and organization instinct 
where in most organizations, it is not an organization instinct. The organization instinct is to say, mm, nope, and let's do it in facts. And let me make, you know, let me make, uh, you know, uh, Jay sign five release forms in person before I allow him, you know, him to have access to his mother's records. Uh, you know, let's, all of that needs to change. That's neat. The, the organization instinct needs to be that people have a right to this information. Other authorized um, organizations have a right to this information. It is natively electronic. That ought to be made available electronically. There shouldn't be a cost when it's natively electronic. Um, I don't expect to be charged every time I go into my bank, um, you know, my bank account on the web. Um, and I also expect the information is going to be up to date. Um, you know, I don't have a five-day lag on you know their updating that information. All those are basic expectations that all of us should have. So that's the first, you know, that's the first and second thing is um, everyone needs to recognize that it is a big change. You need to move it up in your priority list. And you ought to have that organization instinct. And then the last thing I would just say um, is that rather than think about, about this as compliance, and I know, you know people have to, right? Because there's there's real penalties associated with it, you know, and, and it is compliance. And I'm a regulator. Um, and always, you know, I wake up in the morning and I think, wow, you're a regulator. <laughs> um, but I am a, I am a regulator. So I, you know, that that is that is serious stuff for sure. Um, on the other hand, what I would like people to do is move beyond that compliance view of the world as quickly as possible and think about the opportunity side of it. So the other way to think about this is you're a provider organization, you are deeply frustrated with not being able to get information on your patients from all those other parties, right? I wanna be able to get it from the specialist and how come I don't get the discharge summary from the hospital and how come we're not getting ATTs from the hospital? You know, I should be able to get all of those. That's what I would say is think about that side of it and then think about, are you modeling that behavior? You want all the others to be, you know, all the other parties to be doing that. You should be doing that for your own organization. And that puts you in a better position to be able to say to those other organizations now with the information sharing rules in place to say, you should, you, you are required to do this, but you also should be doing this. That ought to be a standard of care for all of us. Oh, absolutely. And I, I absolutely agree that we've got to do it at a granular level, electronic to electronic, and be able to take that data inside the system and do something with it once you've received it. And I've actually had one of some of my clinician colleagues said, well, all this interoperability stuff, uh, wait a minute, I'm gonna get all this information from everywhere. And I'm, I say, why don't you want it? Well, I'll have to be responsible for it, but you're responsible for it now anyway. So I've seen that wrinkle on yep. the physician provider side saying all of a sudden I've got, we've coined the phrase, uh, you know, data tsunami. Uh, there's stuff in that record now that you've received. And if you don't see it or don't deal with it, or something's been missed, then all of a sudden now I'm, I'm liable and I don't want it. I also explained to them, remember back in the paper days in a multi-specialty group practice, this happened to me a thousand times. I'd pick up a chart and find something in that chart that needed to be addressed that never was because somebody else ordered it and it went down the rabbit hole and it's yep. gone. So yep. hopefully the electronic data transmissions will help us with that as long as we put the operability into a usable format so people can actually consume it and use it which i think is very important you can't do that with a fax absolutely I agree with that totally agree and I, you know when we were doing implementation of electronic health records back in you know this is in 2007 2008 with organizations who you know were very paper-based i remember speaking this one to one physician who you know just said we were standing in front of his you know the wall of medical records and you know and he just looked up and he said i gotta say you know he said every day i come in here and i think where is that missed colonoscopy result or lab result or pap smear result that is causing a cancer in someone that I missed? 
it's it's somewhere it's in this record it's in this room i know it is but there's no way i can find it and it scares me every single day um you know and, and again so i appreciate that but i but to your point let's not pretend that that doesn't exist before it absolutely existed before and i think we're now in a better position to have better tools to be able to make that better i think that's a real issue though i do think it's a real issue for people to be concerned that whoa all this electronic stuff is coming in and you know and and i don't have the ability to keep track of all of it um and am i liable for that i, I don't think that's any different than it was before and i will say you're you know we're in a much better position to have the tools to prevent that kind of thing than we did in a, in a paper-based world um and uh and, and the other thing i would just you know uh, you know reflect on that data doesn't get better unless people use it that is the only way for this stuff to get better. Um, there is no way for us to sit and say, well, I'm going to wait until the data is perfect and then I'll use it. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. It happens with the data flows and everyone keeps pointing out, wait a minute, this is bad. This is horrible. <laughs> this doesn't work. And that's when the vendors start to say, oh, okay, we'll develop tools. And that's when the sources will say, oh, okay, well, we better make this better. That's the only way for it to become better. So talking a little bit about incenting physicians and organizations and health systems to actually do this. Um, what's the ONC's current thinking on incentives and how we can encourage people to actually share these medical records in the, in the form and shape that are usable and allow this to happen? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's two things. One is, I, I, I mean, I think value-based purchasing, accountable care, you know whatever you call that and, and you know so that general principle of moving from fee-based uh, services to uh, value-based purchasing i think is just fundamental um, that is the the key driver the single biggest driver of the business case for interoperability and we can do you know what we're going to do with the sticks of the information blocking role and the requirements of all of that but i you know i think as everyone knows um carrots work much better than sticks um and, and uh and i think that you know and at least in my experience um, you know, and I've worked for a population health management vendor before this, and then with a nonprofit who helped organizations um, as they started to move into accountable care um, contracts and help them with the interoperability as well as data analytics. And I saw changes literally almost overnight in people's attitudes that they lived in a fee-for-service world before, and then their IPA, um, you know, uh, or their or their PHO uh, signed a, and you know a Medicare um, a, um, MSSP ACO contract and. That day, we're getting phone calls. We need a data analytics platform that brings all this together. We need an interoperability solution that allows us to track patients, you know, wherever their encounters are. And as I called a week ago, I tried to convince you of this, and you know, you, you just said you had no time. Now all of a sudden, it's priority. It's like, yeah, but look at this contract. It tells me that I have to do all this stuff. So, um, you know, so well, the important thing is it doesn't tell you you have to do all that stuff. It's just that you start to recognize that. Well, wait a minute. If I'm going to take that kind of care of these patients. I need to do all of this stuff on my own. I need to make those investments my own. So I think that's this, that is the, the single biggest driver. Um, and I think as we see more and more of that, um, you know, I think that, that that will continue to drive you know, demand for more interoperability. I think there is um, also a, an emerging sense that this is a standard of care. Um, and you know, and I'll reflect on, you know, my daughter is a, is a physician now, she's a resident. Um, to her, the idea that you would not be actively seeking seeking out other records is just like what wait a minute why are you are you kidding me and I think there's a little bit of a cultural change there the people who are digital natives have the sense that well, wait a minute this information should be flowing um, you know this this should be something that I shouldn't be making decisions without as much of that information as possible where you know my father was a physician I mean he always said 
I was, you know, he said, when in my generation, we were trained that you're on an island and you have the information in front of you and you make the best decisions you can <laughs> in that moment with the information in front of you. That's not the way my daughter looks at the world. She looks at the world as, wait a minute, if I paused here and got a little more information, that might inform me in a much, you know, much better way. So I think that there's that. And I think that there is rising, albeit somewhat buffered, rising customer expectations around this as well. The more visibility that we have, the more, just like in your experience, you realize, well, wait a minute, you, you don't have these records? How could you not have these records? Where before no one really asked that question, right? Um, but right. I think now more and more people are saying, wait a minute, this is ridiculous. You should have these records. And if you don't have these records, I want it on my iPhone and I'm going to bring it to you and say, here's the, here's the darn record. You know, take a look at it before you make a decision on, on me or my parents. And, and better in, on an iPhone than in my head. And on a right. piece of paper in my back pocket. I, yeah, yeah, or, an, or on a CD-ROM. Or yes. <laughs> so we're kind of coming down at the end of our time. Um, I ask this question of everyone on our podcast, and it's if you could fix one thing in healthcare, you're now king of the healthcare IT universe, and whatever you happen to utter will happen. What would it be, and why? What would you change, and why? Uh, I think what I would do is probably um, dramatically overnight say that all healthcare reimbursement is on a value-based care model. I think that that would be the single biggest driver of interoperability. If people flip that thinking, because, um, you know, again, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, from my perspective, it's got to be baked into the business incentive. I mean, we live in a, we live in a healthcare system that is a private sector system. Um, and that's the system that we have. And in order to provide those incentives and provide the business motivation to be able to, you know, sort of have interoperability be thought of as something that you just need to do to improve the quality of care and to have the business incentive to, you know, to do more and more of it. I think that that's the single biggest driver of it. And, uh, and I think I would just overnight try to do everything I can to say, we have no more fee-for-service fee for medicine in the U.S. It's all value-based purchasing. And I would firmly agree with that because I've dealt with both aspects of that in my medical career. And I much preferred the value-based care, which was totally patient-focused and care-focused, much better than fee-for-service, which is how many did I see today as opposed right. to how well I did today. Right. And it provides the autonomy back to the clinician. For you know, I've heard so many clinicians say, it allowed me to be a physician again because <laughs> I could make the decisions of, you know, of what I think is in the best interest of the patient. I wasn't told that, oh, you better do it this way and you know, document in this way and then you get paid on this claim and you know, here's 50 cents more for, you know, for, for adding one more thing. <laughs> exactly, one more tick box. So if people want to know, learn more about what the ONC is doing and have input to your process and learn more, how would they get in contact with you to get that information? Uh, oh, it's so easy. Um, so first off, healthit.gov is our website. We have a ton of stuff there, a ton of ways that people can actually, you know, sort of ask questions and, um, and, and get information and interact um, and request things. Um, we also, uh, you know, are, are very present on social media. Um, so uh, our Twitter feed is live and uh, up and running and you can always interact uh, uh, there with me. Um, I'm at Mickey Trapathy one uh, My uh, Deputy National Coordinator, Steve Posnack, is also uh, active on Twitter. And of course, we've got the ONC feed. And then finally, my email is mickey.trapathy at hhs.gov. Um, please contact me. I am happy to uh, you know, either answer questions or send you to the right person on the ONC team who you know, would be delighted to, um, to, to help anyone with any questions or comments you have. Mickey, right. thank you so much for 
coming on our podcast. It's been a really wonderful conversation, and I do wish you luck in your progress at the ONC and all the best wishes in the world for that. Great. Thanks so much for the invitation, Jay. I really enjoyed the conversation and, uh, and look forward to talking again. That's all for today. Thanks for listening to Tell Me Where It Hurts. Tune in to Healthcare Now Radio and Podcast Network each month for the latest episode. To learn more about Medicomp Systems, visit our website at www.medicomp.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at MedicompSys or myself at MedicompDoc, or check out the show notes for links. See you next time. Thank you.